2: you could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us. So we thank you. With you today is yours truly, Pete Cox. And I want to give a shout out again to all the listeners out there stateside and worldwide. Guys, thank you so much for your support. We continue to plug on through the summer of 2023. And we thank you all so much for your support and for spreading the word, even through our absence and also our hiatus. But we want to thank you all for continuing to get it out there. As a reminder, you can always visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. Once again, that's vaultclassicpod.com. You can go to the website, check out our featured episodes, past episodes in our catalog. You can also go check out the guests that we've had on our shows on our guest page. You can also go to our merchandise store. Fall's going to be coming up soon. Make sure you grab those long sleeve tees, those hoodies, those hats, the beanies. Of course, we also got coffee mugs as well, tumblers, water bottles, also iPhone cases. You think about it. We have right there in the merch shop for the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Just make sure you check that out and hit us up at VaultClassicPod.com. Once again, that's vaultclassicpod.com. All of our social media channels on there as well. You can connect to us right through there at that website. So come check us out. As we always say here on the vault, our motto is hashtag open the vault, hashtag MBTC or nothing but the classics. And today we're gonna go back 25 years ago to a very special album. And we've covered a lot of albums here on The Vault, and so many of them have had such an impact on hip hop, on R&B, on culture, on society. But I'm not speaking in hyperbole here by saying that this might be the album that might have had the most cultural impact on the culture in the time when it came out. And since then, because of the shift that it created as a result of how popular it was and how many accolades it received, because... It was such a great album. And we're going to go to the debut solo studio album of none other than Lauryn Hill, or now known as Miss Lauryn Hill. The Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, released on August 25th, 1998 on Rough House and Columbia Records. It was recorded between September of 97 and June of 1998 at a number of different studios. About half the album was recorded here in America. The other half was recorded at studios in Jamaica. Some of the studios involved chung king studio in america and new york rpm studios sony music also the hit factory right tracks marley music incorporated and tough gong studios in jamaica just to name a few of them with a runtime of 77 minutes and 39 seconds the producers on this well this album was listed as being produced by lauren hill executively produced by lauren hill She drove the vision, of course, of what this album would be. There was also assistance of production on here by Che Guevara Pope and also Vada Nobles, but there were a number of different folks who did great production work on here through some programming of drums and also through piano. A lot of the individuals involved in this, some who's who's, if you would. Carlos Santana, who featured on a track to Zion. John Legend, which featured on the piano on Everything is Everything on track 13, heard would be soon brother in law Julian Marley D'Angelo, who featured, of course, on track 12, and Nothing Really Matters. James Poyser, who played bass and also keys on a number of different tracks here. Gordon, Commissioner Gordon Williams, Errol Brown. And then also other features on here by artists such as Mary J. Blige. And we also mentioned D'Angelo. But this album, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, (laughs) came out in 1998. And it's tough to just sit and think that this is an album that has reached 25 years now. Because in some ways, it feels as though this album is still fresh. In a lot of ways, it seems like it's so far away, considering the state of music and where we are right now. And where the state of the industry is right now. And also, not to mention, of where Lauren is right now. And what we sort of thought would come and springboard as a result of this was not actually what happened. Nonetheless, this album still continues to be celebrated. For good reason, it has to be celebrated. A little bit of a background into the recording of the album. Now, this is an album that was coming off of the heels of the mega success of the Fuji's second studio album, The Score, which came out in February 1996. The Fuji's had great success with that album, great singles. They reached, I want to say, diamond status within a few years. And that was something that sort of springboarded the entire group into their own solo projects. The first one to drop his solo project was none other than Wyclef, who dropped The Carnival in 1997. Lauren featured as an artist on there, as well as Proz and other members of the refugee camp, including John Forte. It was a huge success for Wyclef. It was an album that actually made him see that he could feature on an album, serve as a producer, executive producer, and really drive a project by himself. Then, later on in 1998, Proz dropped an album on the Bulwars soundtrack featuring ODB and Maya with Ghetto Superstar. That became a big hit for him on the radio. He then also dropped his own debut solo album as well. All in a while in a back while, after the Fuji's went on tour for The Score in 1996, Lauren was looking into the idea of possibly recording her own solo album. Now, they're touring... With the Fugees in 96, when Lauren Hill meets Rohan Marley, one of the sons of the legendary and late Bob Marley. And uh, they formed a close relationship. And while they were on tour, Lauren became pregnant. And um, the pregnancy and other circumstances sort of drove her to say like, hey, I got to take this chance now to record my solo album. So after she records a verse on Guantanamera on Clef John Presents the Carnival, she took some time off from touring and recording due to her pregnancy. And of course, she also was suffering from writer's block during this time. But while she was pregnant, it was said to have renewed her creativity. And she said, when some women are pregnant, their hair and their nails grow. For me, it was my mind and ability to create. I had a desire to write in a capacity that I hadn't done in a while. And I don't know if it was a hormonal or emotional thing. I was very in touch with my feelings at the time. She also said, every time I got hurt, every time I was disappointed, every time I learned, I just wrote a song. And so she wrote over 30 songs supposedly in her attic studio in South Orange in New Jersey, Newark. Now, a lot of those songs were based upon the turbulence that was happening as a result of times with the Fugees during the end of that tour. Those have been things that have been discussed ad nauseum now in regards to her supposed relationship with Wyclef and the fact that he was married And the result of the splintering of that relationship at some point in time where her breaking away from the group was sort of seen by, I would say Wyclef and maybe some people in their inner circle as though she was breaking away from the group and seeing as though she was too good for them. She also wrote about other past love experiences. In 97, she gave birth to her first child, Zion Marley. And she had a lot of things that she was doing in between then. And as she was going through this creative spurt, she did things like write for Aretha Franklin and also feature on her songs, A Rose is Still A Rose, writing for CeCe Winans, also did some writing work for Whitney Houston. She was very busy and in a creative wheelhouse at this particular time where she was just on a roll. And going through this album, she wanted to be able to do her recording and she did most of it at King in New York City, but she kind of felt some distractions of people Always wanting to, you know, be around and make the album go in a direction that she didn't want it to go to. So when she was finishing up, she took a trip to Jamaica and went to Tough Gong Studios with her partner at that time, would eventually then become her husband, Rohan Marley, and they recorded in the studios that his father built in Kingston, Jamaica. And a lot of this album was inspired with reggae tones and also the music and some of the influences from Bob Marley and other reggae musicians while being in Jamaica that spurred her creativity. Um, Some of the best songs on this album were recorded right there in Tough Gong Studios in Jamaica. And I feel as though it also gave her a bit of focus and tranquility that she didn't have when she was recording this album. You got to remember the atmosphere around this when we knew that Lauren was recording her solo album. This made this album very highly anticipated. You can know the distractions that can come as a result of those who are anticipating an album highly and what can come from that. She finished recording this album and everything is done and it's scheduled to be released in August. And the album comes out. And of course, at that point in time, everything sort of just blows up from there, Lauren, because it was finally her album. It was her complete vision. It was on her terms. And now we're going to get into it.
0: First thoughts and reflections.
2: My first thoughts about Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. In 98, when this album came out, there was so, so much music, though, that I was waiting for it to come out that I had to take a moment and stop to get this album and listen to it. And when this album dropped, finally, I wasn't even the one that got it. My sister did and picked the album up and started listening to it and caught, of course, a few of the tracks that I listened to and was like, okay, I I feel that. I'm expecting an album to be mostly just a frap. Right. Because that's what I knew Lauren as and I knew that she could sing. We knew that. But as I started listening to it even more and more, I'm understanding that this album is a lot deeper than her just spitting some bars. This album was going to be something that wasn't even going to be something that you could put in a particular box. I was just like, there's a lot more singing on this than I realized it would be. But the singing was just it was amazing. And it was something after a while that I didn't complain about because it was good music. Now, the rapping that she did do on this was what you expect to get from a Lauren Hill. But the singing on here, the musicianship on here, all these different musicians that were on this album, and just the quality of the production really set me aback, even as a 16-year-old. Was I a little disappointed that there wasn't as much rapping on here? A little bit. But when I got deep into it and listened to it about three or four times over, I sort of started to realize, and it's just like I can't really listen to this with the expectation of a hip hop album. This is so much more than just hip hop. It was hip hop. It was R and B. It was what we would come to know was neo soul. Um, it was aspects of reggae in there as well, Caribbean music. Being able to also listen to the lyrics and understand the thing that she was touching on, talking about past relationships and about heartbreak and about love and about having to deal with your emotions and. Uh, having to deal with the disappointment of love and also the exaltation of love as well. And to be able to listen to it and listen to those lyrics, when you listen to certain songs on there, you can't help but connect to it on a different basis. For me, it was almost like a spiritual basis. I listened to a lot of the songs. Of course, I loved all the great singles that were on there, the ones that did well on Radio, but to me, the song that really latched onto me was the song she did with D'Angelo with Nothing Even Matters. It was, oh, it was amazing. And so when I knew that I could listen to this album from such a great MC, but then appreciate her for all her other talents, not just her singing talent, but then also from what I see would be her writing talent and then also her talent as a producer, not just even necessarily making the beats themselves, but to be able to take this direction of her vision. Of her dream and to make it into this was just absolutely incredible. And the reaction around this amongst my peers of those of us in high school were just crazy. Let me tell you why everybody loved this album. The women loved it because it was singing and because Lauren had a beautiful voice and because she was singing about topics that they could relate to about heartbreak, about things like on doo wop, about talking about valuing yourself as a queen and your body and. Also, making sure that you protect your heart and talking about things like relationships and love. Those are the things that a lot of women will latch on to when they hear a singer or an artist. But the guys themselves, we liked it too. Why? Because the rapping parts of it sort of pulled us in. and We always knew Lauren was ill beyond belief. But when you can listen to an album, even as a guy, considering that in most cases, if you talk to most people, that men are not as emotionally adept Or in tune with ourselves as women are lauren found a way to be able to reach into the soul of men and make us get in tune with our emotions and at least consider them even if we weren't in tune with them and that was the one thing about lauren hill her redeeming quality as an artist and as a visionary is that she was able to pull the type of emotions out of people that not many artists actually can and you put an album of that out there And you have gold, Jimmy. You hear me? Absolutely gold. When this album continued to drop and the singles continued to come out and we see these videos and also hear these songs on the radio, it just elevated the profile of this album even more and more and more. And when we went right into Grammy season and she was up for all those Grammys, some people will say that, oh, it was a surprise that she actually won all those awards, Let me tell you something, for those of us who were out there listening to this album, we were not surprised at all. That's how good this album was. We knew she was going to go there in the Grammys and clean up because this was album, just like Lauren was a unicorn. Lauren was an artist and is an artist that can do both parts of her music equally elite. She's an elite MC and she's an elite singer with great vocals, great range, And just has a way to be able to pull at your heartstrings, both as an MC and also as a singer. So this album was so important to so many people. This is an album that has kept her relevant and in the conversation for 25 years. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. We talk about the aftermath of this album. But man, listening to that album as a teenager and knowing what we heard from her from the Fugees and knowing that the potential was there. You could talk about someone having the potential to do something great. And you know that something is great on the horizon for them. But fulfilling that and meeting those expectations are two different things. And not only did she fulfill all of our expectations, she exceeded it. And shout out to her and also everybody who did a lot of the work on this album, because what they did was take the potential of what we were all expecting and then just blow it right out of the park because it was mind blowing for all of us and not R&B. Not hip-hop, not necessarily 100% even neo-soul. It was all of that put together all into one. A unicorn of an album is really what it was. Highlights and lowlights. So, <laughs> highlights of Miseducation of Lauryn Hill. We'll go into the singles as well. Now, listed as the singles is here are do wop that thing which came out in august of 98 the x factor which was released as a single in december 4th 1998 and everything is everything which came out in may of 1999 now two other songs on here were kind of singles and not as successful as those singles but lost ones was i remember being the first single that i heard from miseducation that's the one that really got me psyched about the rapping part of it. But then also, the other song that I mentioned earlier, Nothing Even Matters by D'Angelo, was also a single that was released too. That was also on the radio. But when we talk about highlights and lowlights on here, I mean, let's go ahead and get this out of the way. There are no lowlights here on this album. Zero. None. Okay, we're going to get that out of the way right now. Lost Ones is how she opens up the album, especially after that intro that gives you the classroom setting which we'll also talk about another highlight that's here as well. The whole classroom interludes in between the tracks of the kids talking in the classroom and having this conversation about love and relationships. That, to me, adds to the whole theme of the album of Miseducation. And that sort of dialogue that you have between the kids and their teacher is something that Oh, man, it was expertly done. But Lost Ones kicks off the album. Lauren come out spitting nothing but fire. And the story behind that song with Lost Ones, how that was with that being recorded in Tough Gong Studios. There was a story she was going in to record Lost Ones. And this was a story told by Commissioner Gordon Williams where he says that they have just gotten into Jamaica and all these kids are gathered around Lauren and they were screaming and dancing. And they were mostly about 15 of the Marley grandchildren, the kids of like Ziggy, Steven and Julian. And then when she starts singing the rap verse, all the kids start repeating the last word of each line. And so, That sort of becomes the idea, which you hear on Lost Ones with the last word of every line being repeated at the end of it. So creatively, again, something that happened spontaneously, which became big at the end of that moment. But Lost Ones is just, it's perfect. I mean, it's just Lauren at her MC best, like seriously, her MC best. X factor. (laughs) Listen, there have been a lot of things written about Miseducation of Lauren Hill and a lot of songs that people have talked about that have had an impact on the industry and also on society. I don't think there has been a song that has talked about more on Miseducation of Lauren Hill more than X-Factor. I have seen articles written about X-Factor. I've heard podcasts written about X-Factor, the song. It is a song that if you talk to so many people now, they relate to so deeply and talk about it so emotionally because the, the emotions that are in the lyrics and in the singing of this song, that it's a song that people connect with. And it is a song that if you probably talked to her beforehand, would Lawrence say that she thinks that this song would have had the impact that it had? I don't think that she would. And it's completely huge now. This is a favorite song of mine, and I probably would say a favorite of so many different people. And it's a song that lots of folks have written about. And I've written about that, the impact of the emotions of that song and also the complexities of that song and the truth that it tells about hers and so many other realities out there. It's an incredibly powerful song, though, and a popular one that many people have actually also sampled as well. Zion is a masterpiece with the great Carlos Santana on guitar, Lauren really going through her emotions about her firstborn and the fact that what the impact it would have on her career and becoming a mother for the first time is a song, obviously, that a lot of women will connect with the Becoming a Mother and Starting Motherhood and Your Firstborn Child, you know. Um, do op that thing is masterful. <laughs> it's everything about it is great. This is just like you talk about taking Lauren, her two talents, and meshing them together perfectly. And the video for this was absolutely phenomenal as well. Matching the two things, the 50s, 60s group doo sort of aesthetic along with the current 90s r&b aesthetic matching those two together and creating that video man really seemed like fun this this track is just great it's something that is maintained these 25 years afterwards everything is everything is a great track i mentioned of course you hear that piano in there that's being played by john legend himself but this is a great track um the the least known of all these singles but I mean, the lyrics on here that she talks about on Everything is Everything, and she does this on a couple of different songs, but, you know, when she says that after winter must come spring, everything is everything, it's just, um, it's, it's crazy, it, it really is, and it explains a lot. Then, probably my favorite on this album... <laughs> And I have a personal reason why this is my favorite song on this album. Nothing Even Matters featuring D'Angelo. I'm going to give you three reasons why this song is my favorite. One, I love the production and the feel of this song, the sort of mid-tempo into slow music that you get here, the collaboration that you have as well. D'Angelo, number two, is one of my favorite artists of this new age from the 90s on until now. And I was a big fan of Brown Sugar and was greatly anticipating his next album when it came out. To have him and Lauren together on a song made perfect sense to me, and it just worked. And in listening to this song, it was just like, you know, like butter over pancakes. It really was. It was just awesome. And I love this song so much, and this is the third and final reason why this is my favorite song on this album, is that this is the song that my wife and I had our first dance to when we got married. And we both chose this song and when I brought this song up to my wife we both looked at each other and we knew like yep that's the one that's the song right there yeah that it is so that that's my favorite There also another one can't take my eyes off of you which was a Frankie Valli remake and the way that she did it was awesome I mean the songs you take like that from that time period and if you could flip them like that where people of many different audiences can appreciate it masterfully done but getting into a lot of the album tracks on here. Some of my favorite tracks, um, especially uh, a track like Superstar, which to me, I can relate to. She talks about the quality of music. And back in 1998, this was also a topic of conversation about some people looking at the way and the path that music was going. And she says in her chorus is, come on, baby, light my fire. Everything you drop is so tired. Music is supposed to inspire. How come we ain't getting no higher? I mean, (laughs) what else do you have to say? She was saying that back in 1998, and we didn't have an answer for her. And now here it is 25 years later, and you can make a argument that that song applies now more so than it did back then. She was singing that back then when we thought that music was perfectly fine, some of us in some respects. But Now we go 25 years later, and it's the same exact thing. Another album track that's great is I Used to Love Him with Mary J. Blige. One of my favorite collaborations on here as well, to be able to have Mary J. on this and to hear her and Lauren on a song that seems to be so personal for both of them, considering both of their histories, right? I mean, this is great. You know, When you talk about stuff like Heartbreak, I mean, who better to have on a track than Lauren Hill and Mary J. Blige together? Two vocal dynamos, two superstars on a track together and complementing each other so well. I loved Every Ghetto in Every City because of the throwback nature of her reminiscing about things back in the day and knowing to understand that this is some of the things that young Lauren enjoyed with her childhood in New Jersey. And it sort of takes you back to the things that you enjoyed as a kid, right? So this is sort of that thing of connecting back to people that we talked about with Lauren and Every Ghetto, Every City. I think she talks about that you go from city to city, from ghetto to ghetto. These are things that we all kind of enjoyed as children, and things that we harken back to the better days back in the day. Songs like "Tell Him," I, oh, that's a great way to close out the album. Uh, but then also songs like "When It Hurts So Bad" and "Forgive Them, Father." Forgive Them Father has that great reggae influence to it. You can tell that was probably recorded in Tough Gong Studio with her in-laws. And uh, I mean, you got to love it, man. And the show, like a lot of these uh, songs had Caribbean influence on them. It shows Lauren's affinity not only for reggae music, but also for Caribbean music as well. I got to give her props for really wanting to explore that within this album. But there is not a single bad song on this album or a bad moment it's not even something here that i would take out everything down to the sketch with the kids discussing love in relationships it's it's great it's expertly done so no no low lights on here at all for me notable quotables so notable quotables i could have gone with a lot of different ones and so my notable quotables is actually going to come from everything is everything and i'm gonna go from her verse that she has there there and she says I philosophy possibly speak Tums, beat drum, Abyssinian, street Baptist, wrap this in fine linen from the beginning. My practice is across the Atlas. I begat this flipping in the ghetto on a dirty mattress. You can't match this rapper slash actress more powerful than two Cleopatras. That's crazy. That's absolutely crazy. <laughs> the whole thing to go with the bringing to talk about from Abyssinians to Egyptians to Cleopatras and talk about, of course, you can't match this rapper slash actress, <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I mean, there's lots of great quotables on this when you go through the rhymes, but that verse right there, that's that first verse, Four to five bars, four to six bars right there. Just absolutely crazy, man.
0: Final verdict.
2: So final verdict. I mean, let's <laughs> let's not be stupid about this. We know what this is. I mean, <laughs> this is a classic. I mean, we're not going to go a lot to talk about why, you know, this is a classic. We all know what it is. I mean, this is the Miseducation of Lauren Hill. This is an album that notably has changed the music industry and changed the way that people looked at it. And for Lauren, what it did was... Sort of anoint her as at the top of this industry as the next great singer, songwriter, multifunction artist out there that was without limitations. After that night on the Grammys, I kind of think we all sat there and looked at Lauren and said, whatever it is she wants to do, she can do it. Whatever kind of album that she wants to put out, she can do it. Whatever it is that she wants to accomplish in this music industry, consider it done. Because at that point, we were like, she's already gotten to the top of a hill. She has accomplished something in one album that it takes some artist a lifetime to do. And she did it with one album and got universal acclaim as a result of that. Now, let me tell you why that's a good thing and why that's a bad thing. The good thing. The music industry finally saw the genius of Will Lauren for what she was for years while spending time with the Fujis and sort of being in this group and I guess sort of a prisoner of being a part of a group effort where sort of she was only limited to having only a third of her contributions recognized and as exceptional as that was, we still wanted more. And when we finally wanted more and she gave us more, she gave us not only more, she gave us more than we ever even expected or could imagine. And when the industry saw that, and recognized her for all the talents of what she had it gave us something that it was like wow yeah th- this is it this is the next person right here Lauren's gonna have a nice long career at that point we were ready for more Lauren music and what she did was give us music on an album that will stay with us for a lifetime for all of us who were there when we first heard it to those of us who weren't even alive when it came out but have heard its excellence since then And for those who are yet still to come who will study it even 100 years after it's gone. And that is something beautiful. But let me tell you why it's a bad thing. The bad thing was, is after this and after that night on the Grammys where Lauren was at the highest of her high, she sort of became a prisoner to her own success. Because if you reach this, at the beginning of you starting out on your own, you can't really go up. You can only go down, right? If you do this, how do you follow this up? If you put out an album and you put out something that's just as amazing as this album was how do you follow it up how can you outdo what a lot of people see as already being perfect that's the difficult part of having to be able to follow up your success when the first success you have as a solo artist turns out to be this and as a result of that i don't know whether she got scared of that i don't know whether this was she started dealing with um, her mental health problems her also having her children after that we never got another studio album from lauren we got an unplugged album and there were some great works that she had with that and songs, but we were looking for more magically miseducation and we never got it again. And Lauren wanted to take time to raise her children, which we all understand. And for fans, we were the ones that suffered because we didn't get the music and because Lauren wanted to raise her family. And as bad as that sounds for us, we can understand though. But also the bad thing about it, which also had is the fact that it seems like Lauren dealt with those mental health issues she was in a relationship with her husband and who she had the majority of her kids with that it seems like it wasn't necessarily a healthy relationship all the time. Her kids having to grown up with the fact that their mother is Lauren Hill and that their father is the son of one of the greatest musicians of the 20th century and of all time may have suffered as a result of that. Lauren had reached such a level of success where she was adored by people even years after she never came out that it seems like in addition to those mental health problems, she also kind of got a little bit of a big head as a result of it. Now, we've all heard the stories. In particular, I'll point to the interview that Robert Glasper did a few years ago where he actually played in a band in a performance that she was done a corporate event and got paid six figures for it where her attitude was she was very arrogant. People told her, don't look it in her eye, call her Miss Hale, don't call her by her first name. Her firing musicians and then bringing in whole new bands because she didn't like what the band is doing during the rehearsals. Uh, the fact that in all the stories we've now heard about her being ridiculously late to performances, um, even to the fact where some performances had to be canceled and the crowd was sitting there waiting for her to come and she didn't come out. Or the fact that she would be so late that it would extend the showtime way beyond almost to the point where the venue needed to be open. The fact that she missed tour dates or canceled tour dates and so many different other things. That happened and her explaining the fact that she said that the energy needs to be right in order for her to perform. That it's kind of pitted her out to be a little bit of a diva. And that's the unfortunate part about that because that wasn't the loin that we fell in love with, right? But she did resurface on Nas's King's Disease 2 and did also spit a verse for the first time in a long time. We were reminded then of the greatness that she had and what she's capable of. And for those of us who have been waiting since miseducation for something from her, it made us happy and then also very sad because 25 years have passed and we could have had possibly three to four, maybe even five Lauren albums since then that could have given us great music because we know the greatness that she possesses. So since then, unfortunately, she's become a prisoner of her own success. How do you top something that people see as perfect? Then also wanting to raise a family, to be in a relationship that's not necessarily healthy, the first marriage, then to also then kind of be the biggest fan of your own press clippings, to understand and know that you're, hey, yes, I am great, I'm the shit, and I will make people wait, and you will wait for me, and you will do this for me, why? Because I miss Lauren Hill. So that's the unfortunate part about it. But nonetheless, what Lauren has done in the few years she made music, and in the years since then that we've to love this music, this album is an album that continues to be a favorite of so many, and continues to hold a special places in our hearts. This album is the reason why so many of us will continue to show up to concerts for her, knowing that she may or may not be on time, knowing that she may not even make the date itself, and knowing that if we do get a performance from her, it may not be to the same quality of what it will be. But why do we do it? We do it because we love Lauren, and because this album helped us love her even more. And because of that, because the way that she pulled our emotions out of us and connected with us on a spiritual level makes us understand and appreciate us her more, that we're willing to be there for her, even if it means that what she gives us is not gonna be what we expect. But because it's Lauren, we tend to understand. So there it is, y'all. Ms. education of Lauren Hill turning 25 years old this week. Make sure y'all go check it out and listen if you're not listening to it already. And hit us up on social media. Let us know what you think. Are you a fan of Miseducation of Lauryn Hill? What kind of thoughts and reactions did you have when you listened to it? What are some of your favorite tracks? And emotionally and spiritually, what did it do for you? Hit us up on social media. Hit us up as well in the comments and leave a review as well on the website. We'd love to continue the conversation. And that is gonna wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show, check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review, or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left hand corner to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we would like to remind everyone to dream big, because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate, and elevate, because you are never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com